Hello, and welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex, and today I am talking to one of the country's hottest live electronic acts and most talked about social media stirrer. From numerous top 10 singles to three summer nominations to headlining pretty much every festival and one day event around the country, he has been grafting and honing his craft since early 2011 after he arrived in Cape Town to pursue a career in music. Over the last few years, he has also managed very successfully to turn his band into a full-on brand while successfully becoming South Africa's premier social media master and more recently, a very, very big thorn in the SABC side. I am, of course, talking about Mr. Meme himself, David Scott. But first, we need to mention our awesome studio sponsors for this season. SDFD Studio, a world-class recording facility opened by local music specialists, Sit the Folk Down. Their services range from audio and post-production work to mixing and mastering and everything else audio-related. Get in touch with them at studio at stfd.co.za for all your recording and music-related needs. Mix Room Studios is a boutique, electronic music-focused mixing and mastering studio. And if you're making cool electronic music, you probably need your beats to be polished. So hit Mixroom Studio up at info at mixroomstudios.com for more info. Dave, you and I have known each other for quite a while, but this, even though I've written numerous pieces about you over the years, this is the first time that we've sat down and we've had a conversation. So thank you very much for being one of my first guests on Text Talks. Um, tell me, how's the, start, how's the start of the new decade been treating you? Sure. Firstly, I just want to say thank you for that amazing introduction. Ain't no thing. Made me sound very uh, qualified. <laughs> Might I just say that I'm a three-time Sama losing artist. Um, snubbed by the, the likes of Beatenberg, who probably released one of the best albums of all time. Um so I just want to start by saying well done to Beatenberg for beating me in the, which Summers was it? 2015, perhaps. 2015. <clears throat> but anyway, thank you. Uh, yeah, 2020 has, has been uh, interesting so far. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know quite what to say. I mean, the coronavirus has hit us, um, you know... Kobe Bryant died in a freak heli- helicopter accident. Uh, what else has happened? I mean, we're not even like two minutes deep into this into this podcast, and well, already were we're like so so dark. <laughs> like, there were threats of World War Three. Thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, so I mean, a lot's happened, but you know, I'm here. You're here. I think you know, maybe in order to understand our present. Maybe let's go back with you to the beginning, since this is the first time that we've sat down. So, what? When did I want to know? When did little Dave Scott, tiny Dave Scott, decide that a career in music was something that he wanted to pursue? Um, I would say end of my Rhodes career. So that was two thousand and nine. I finished with a BA in philosophy and music probably the most useless degree anyone could ever get. You know, it's not like you see newspaper ads saying wanted, 
musician slash philosopher. <laughs> no, never. Um, I've always had a keen interest in, you know, music production. Um, it started in high school. I'd, I was fortunate enough to have a brother who introduced me to software like uh, EJ. I don't know if you know EJ, but that's like going way back. I'm not very clued up technically. So, <laughs> I mean, this is, you're schooling me hard today. So EJ was like, it was like little Lego blocks of music, like a beat and then a bass line and a synth that you could kind of piece together yourself. Got you. Um, so that's kind of how I learned how to, you know, just make a song from scratch. And then, you know, we we got introduced to other sort of free software on the internet, like Audacity. So I made a lot of songs in Audacity, kind of just taking you know samples from other songs and splicing them together mm -hmm. and you know we're singing into those like computer mics so this was when i was like 15 16 um one of the first recordings is actually on my soundcloud it's a it's a tribute that we made to monty python oh wow we are no longer the knights who say so my friend Dan and I just watched The Holy Grail and we made a whole song about it. And that was one of the first songs that I made and like, you know, gave to my friends. I like burnt it onto a CD. And uh, what was the response like to that, Jack? You know, like I, I went to Michael House, so it was mixed response. There, there were a lot of guys who who were like, oh, yes, bro, you got way, you got way too much free time, eh? <laughs> Or they're like, yes, bro, why are you so weird? And like, I tried not to pay attention to those guys because, you know, my friends enjoyed what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And um, a really cool moment was I remixed um, the school anthem. Oh, wow. And I put it onto DC++, um, which is like the server where you can put stuff and people can download and share whatever. Mm -hmm. And... Like, before I knew it, everyone, like, had the song in their Winamp player. And, uh... Oh, my God, you know, Winamp like, player. So, cool stuff was happening like that when I went to Rhodes. I, I was, like, remixing. I made a remix of uh, Dancing in the Moonlight. Also, there was a Rhodes server that I put it onto. And and I was at a Bri. And I heard my, my song playing at this Bri. And that was, like, a crazy moment for me. So, like... You know, it all it all kind of started small. Um, I was in a church that uh, wrote all its own music. Um, so this got me more into like proper songwriting. I was writing songs for the church and it was also just amazing to hear my songs being sung in his people, the church that I, that I was at. That's crazy. So you're... So you're a bedroom producer essentially you're remixing the school song you're you're writing songs for your for your church what where does the next step come in where you're like okay this is something i want to do full time um i think when i came to cape town to to study sound engineering that's when i really started taking it seriously because i mean the school stuff was happening but never that i think you know this is eventually going to turn into a career um but just at the end of Rhodes, I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I enjoyed making music. Um, and, you know, much to my parents' dismay, I said, I want to pursue this properly. Um, 
And yeah, like I did really well at Cape Audio. I finished top of my class and, you know, just, just because I think I was enjoying what I was doing. Like I was always kind of middle of the pack at school. Um, but like this was the first time I felt like I was really, you know, doing well mm. and, you know, like excelling in something that, you know, I enjoyed. Mm. Um, but then after that, you know, I was on my, I was on my ace, no more financial support from the parents, you know, I had to go make a living. So I was living on people's couches and just trying to hustle shows. And uh, I had one of those chats with my dad, uh, where, where he kind of sat me down and said, you know, that if you want to just survive, like not even enjoy things like to survive, you need to make at least 10,000 rand a month. And uh, it was a it was a reality check because I was doing shows for like five hundred rand, seven hundred rand, whatever. And I was like, "Yo, this means I need to make I need to (laughs) need to do twenty gigs a month." At the moment, I think I'm sitting on maybe two or three shows, so I was stressing out a little bit. This was like in 2010, Um, but yeah, like I just I stuck at it. You know, I think my friends started getting a little bit you know upset with me just for for overstaying my welcome (laughs) on their couches um so i actually went back to plet in 2010 just because you know it it wasn't really happening in cape town for me um yeah and i just luckily you know my brother was living there and it was a, a place where I was quite welcome and I didn't have to pay rent, thankfully, using my white privilege, you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, I just kept hammering away at the music until it got good enough to, to get played on like 5FM. 100%. So the, the lineup for the Kifness has changed a lot over the years. So you've yeah. had like Mvelo, Shandu on bass and you've had Clem Carr on keys and sax and now the, the lineup the way that it is now, obviously, with you you at the helm and then Raven Huntsman and Matthew Gold will join you every now and again. I've, se- I've seen yeah. a few shows with, with him on, like, guest vocals. Are you happy with the lineup, the, the way that it is now? Do you feel like it's, it's finally solidified or are you still kind of open to people coming and collaborating? Because you've done, like, you've done a shit ton of collaborations over the years as well. Yeah. Um, no, I'm really happy with, you know, where I'm at with Matt and Raven. They, they're two very close friends and, you know, we get on very well and they're reliable guys, which is what you want. Mm. <laughs> you know, it, it has gone through ups and downs in the past. Like Shandu is one of my very closest friends. Uh, we went to school together. We were in the jazz band and the choir together. Epic dude. So we've got a lot of history and we still are friends, which is amazing. Like, I think when we, when we split up, we went through a bit of a phase of not really wanting to speak to each other, mm. which is understandable. But deep down, there's that, that friendship. And uh, I wish nothing but the best for the guy. He's the most amazing, you know, personality on stage. Mm. Um, I don't know if you ever saw our show with, with Shandu, but he just brought so much life to the stage he's he he was amazing at drama at school also you know playing drums and all kinds of other instruments he's just a super talented guy and uh, i hope that in the future we can work together again so proper all-round talent i'm sure yeah yeah, i mean i'm sure 
if you you know if you keep your options open and you willing to work with you know people that come in you, you we never know what's down the road we never know what's going to yeah. happen like musically yeah and i mean even before shandy my brother was playing drums in the band and um i've actually just started working with him again i think when he decided to to leave it was when things were kind of starting to pick up a little mm. bit and it meant more flights and traveling and my brother's a very reserved quiet guy he likes you know just chilling out and <laughs> he loves being in plet like that's where he's happy you know um but he's just taken over from my wife yuta doing our bookings and he's he's just been amazing so far oh, so it's cool to be working with him again in some capacity and then obviously clem um like we we never really saw eye to eye we we're very different people um but just when we got into the studio we somehow wrote the most amazing stuff he he just has a magic to the way that he plays keys and sax that you know th- quite a few of the songs that i've written with clem have have gone on to be like pretty successful tunes mm. like he did a lot of of work on evergreen with tresor you say love me he pretty much took the song from a piece of cheese into like like it was it was literally gouda cheese and then he turned it into a lovely camembert like if, if you heard the first draft you'd be like what is this and then he was like brew why don't we just try this and do that and then it just it suddenly made sense as as somebody who is such a champion for independent musicians like you are and educating just independent musicians but musicians in general when you started to when things started to kick off um and songs started to be playlisted and you know you started to get booked a bit more uh did you do it all independently at the beginning were you ever signed to a label did you ever get label support um what was the road to to getting those tracks you know and the, the momentum behind them so the first two albums I wrote were completely independent mm-hmm. and I was lucky to have a brother who understood how to get your music onto iTunes because back in 2010 I don't think a lot of people knew how to do that without a label and my brother being the guy that he is he he did his research and found you know the way that you can do it it's obviously a lot easier now but back then it was it was quite like a like a foggy area mm. um so yeah he he got our stuff online which was i think just the perception of that of being an artist that had your music on iTunes automatically elevated you to like a, a different level as as superficial as it seems I think if if you could pitch to a promoter and say check our music's here, they they would be like oh these guys are legit. I mean if you do it now they'll be like okay cool story. But back then it was it was quite a big deal. Because I remember when I was still working for Deezer in 2014, iTunes listed you as one of the acts to watch for that year at the beginning of the year, and I was like whoa that's huge. Yeah, so I think that was maybe like I think. Uh, the label that I was with Sony at the time might have had something to do with that. Mm. I don't know if I'd be able to get that kind of PR independently. So I mean labels I think in that sense where they can just put you in the spotlights and say this is the artist to look out for. 
like that's what they bring to the table there is kind of invaluable but at the end of the day if your music sucks like it doesn't matter like if you're in the spotlights or not because people will be able to pick up that you know this isn't good mm. luckily i think you know the album that they did promote was like all right you know mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> no man it was more than all right <laughs> um but so, yeah so now you're back to being independent Back to being independent, okay. I think, um, yeah, labels are slowly kind of just losing the power that they once had. Um, they, it's, it's easy to get hold of Carl Anderson or at, at Apple Music or, you know, the people at Spotify and just form a relationship with them that you might not have been able to form... 10 years ago mm-hmm. but now they're easily accessible and things are a bit more transparent the, those are yeah. the people that you want to be in touch with and if they like your music there's no reason why your song can't get onto the playlists that they deserve to be on with a label or without a label like it doesn't make a difference mm. only, well the only difference is that you know the label's taking 80% of your streaming revenue but if you do it independently, you get to keep it all yourself. So for me, that's a, a bit of a no-brainer. Well, I mean, you get, you get to keep it all yourself if the SABC pay you, which <laughs> brings me to my, my... I mean, we have to talk about the SABC because last year in August when you launched the, the no-play, no-pay, hashtag no-pay, no-play, um, you essentially told the SABC that they couldn't play your music because they owe you money. Um, and I can't tell you after you launched that campaign, how many conversations I had with musicians who A, didn't understand the difference between Samro and Sampra, Mm. and B, also had no idea that there was probably a really nice chunk of change waiting for them on the other side. So, you know, when it comes to different kinds of royalty streams. So when did you start asking that question? Like, yo, where my money at? Uh, It was last year. Not so long ago, actually. Probably like mid mid 2019 mm. um i i got a message from someone saying did you know that you've got unclaimed royalties at sampra and i said no i didn't know that uh, i knew that i'd applied to become a member of sampra uh, quite a while ago mm-hmm. and but that's as far as my my relationship with sampra went i i thought you know since i've applied and did everything that they asked me to fill in all the forms that I'm probably a member and but I didn't know much about them um so when I got this message I I did a little bit of research I emailed them I tried to phone them and you know I just didn't get through but then uh well I yeah I got through to them but they kept saying no we'll 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 let you know in two weeks what's happening and then two weeks go by, you phone them, and then, and then I said, two weeks ago, you said, you know, you'll let me know what's happening. Am I a member? They'd be like, no, 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 like something happened in the system. Check back in three weeks. So it's, I could see this game they were playing. Mm. It was just like, oh, whatever. It's another guy asking about his membership. And then I actually put in my calendar three weeks Come from down. that day. This is the day I'm meant to be a member. And then I was in Joburg on that day and I went to their office and I said, guys, I've been trying to become a member of Sampra for the last like two months 
and you said by today I'm going to be a member and they said sorry you're not a member and I said well like what am I meant to do like how hard is this like and then and then the lady looked at me and she said wait <laughs> don't you have that song that goes you say you love me and I was like yes that's my song she's like I thought so because I got your CD oh, at home because it's like a picture of my face and then and then suddenly her whole mood changed and she she was like okay no, no wait let me just make you a member now and it literally took her two minutes and it was like the weirdest feeling of relief but anger as well because you know it's this thing of trying to become a member took so long. So I was like, yes, finally it's happened. But then I was angry because... If she hadn't it was recognized so easy. you. Like- it was literally a case of just putting my details in the system. So anyway, once I was a member, I showed her all the songs which, you know, I haven't gotten my royalties for. Because the whole system is basically screwed. There's a whole list of undocumented songs that have earned royalties but you know just they've been misregistered at the radio stations or whatever and what radio stations do is they'll put um the name of the song and then in brackets sa to show that it's a local song Mm -hmm. and that messes up everything just that alone because if you misspell the name of the song or the artist if you put an apostrophe in the wrong place they don't pick it up so you have to now like manually go to them and say you know this is my song it's it's played all over the place and you know then they'll put it into the system and then Mm. you get paid so through this whole process i've earned i think about close to two hundred thousand rand which i didn't even know existed and i think you know because of that that kind of you know, just open my eyes because that's more money than I've ever made at Samro. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, Samro should be paying like equal amounts, if not more. And that 200,000 Rand that I got from Sampra, not a cent of that's come from the SABC. And that's where the bulk of my music's being played. So it should actually be closer to half a million Rand, as far as I know. So in October 20, 2019, you launched that online petition uh and you got a response from the sabc spokesperson william tembo who said that the settlement that the bailout of 240 million that the sabc had received from the government um was going into settling the sabc's debts what has happened from then have you had any kind of like follow-up has there been any more response from him or her i think boy is a girl actually yeah so, as far as I know, they've paid back 30% of their debt. And if memory serves me correctly, the rest of it should be paid by March. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I will be following up to see if, you know, they're, they're keeping their word. I'm not holding my breath. But, um, yeah, there have been steps. It's been brought up in Parliament. You know, the the petition gathered a bit of steam, and it's it got the attention of a member of Parliament who who was you know just a complete champion because he brought it up, and you know I think that really got the ball rolling, and and you know it it made it made the people at the SABC really start thinking about. Mm actually paying us because i i think 
the general mood in the SA music scene is is just apathy. People just don't care anymore. They're just like, oh, they're not, they're never going to pay us. And people kept telling me that, oh, they'll never pay you. You're wasting your time. And f- like a lot of the time, you know, I did think that, you know, maybe this is a waste of time. But, you know, when, when I saw, you know, the Honorable Swart, like mm. speaking about it in Parliament, I, it, it gave me a bit of hope. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it's difficult to, to just keep like fighting this, this crazy fight. Like I, I feel like, you know, if more musicians banded with me, it would, it would actually make it a bit easier, but it's just crazy because a lot of my friends, you know, sign this petition, but then they still go and support 5FM and they submit their music to them anyway. So like there's, there's a massive double standard. People, you know, will stand with me, but then, you know, support the thing that they're trying to fight. It makes no sense. And on that online petition, you made it very clear. You're in no way being like a dick towards Das Kapital or Nick Hammond. You're like, you listen to their shows, you enjoy their shows, but this is more for the people who are at the top of the decision makers, the people who can really make a difference. Yeah. Now, the fact that, you know, Nick Hammond's now started a podcast himself Mm -hmm. is amazing because now I can actually listen to him again because I love listening to to Nick. And uh, luckily, Dust Capital's got his his live Instagram feed, which I can can catch up with him there. Um, But... Yeah, like it's it's interesting because I, I feel like it has created a bit of a rift. Uh, a lot of the presenters at Five FM, I think, don't understand where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. MCZ James, I know it. Like we used to get on very well, and now he's he. I think there's a bit of animosity, and uh, I mean, fair enough. Like maybe what I'm saying is is costing them listenership. But, and it's, I can understand that it's a tricky situation to be in, like as a presenter, because, you know, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. No, 100%. But the way that I see it, if, if people like you are not going to speak up, then no one's going to speak up. And you just said, like, you wish more musicians would band with you and, you know, you could all make a stand together, which I think is, that's something that's sorely lacking yeah. in this industry. Like, we don't support each yeah, other. Yeah, it's, it's like trying to herd cats at mm. the end of the day. <laughs> It's uh, we're we're all our own people, and you know we've talked about having a musicians' union for years, mm. but it's just I don't know if it'll ever happen, but maybe it will. Like I don't want to, you know, be too pessimistic, but yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that I love the most about you is the fact that you use you use your platform to educate. Like that that article that you wrote about you know six things that you can do as an independent musician to get your music submitted or get your music heard. And I'll never forget. Like, there was about maybe two weeks after you published that article, and all of a sudden, Text in the City started getting so many submissions. Amazing. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I went and I like checked the back office to the site, and I saw that the referral links from the Kifness were just like, they were in they were in the hundreds. Amazing. And then I went to check and then I saw you were like, Text in the City is one of the sites that, you know, if you submit properly, she'll, her and her team will listen to your music and there's a really good chance that you could get featured on the site. So they like, just get, carry on doing what you're doing. <laughs> no, it's really cool. Like I get messages from, you know, guys I've never heard of or spoken to, Guys that normally like creep into your DM and they're like, yo, yo, man, listen <laughs> to my new song, man. You know, like things going to be big. 
Like these are guys that actually have talent, but don't know how to market themselves. But they've now read what I've written and they, they're doing it the right way. They're, mm. they're actually getting it out and, you know, submitting their stuff to you and getting their stuff on playlists because, you know, they're, they're doing it the right way. They're, they're, putting, they're uploading their music a month before release so that the guys at Spotify and Apple can actually listen to it and see if it's good enough for their playlist. Like, these are things that people don't understand are really important. Because you can have a really good song, but if you don't release it the correct way... If there's no strat behind it. Yeah, then you're wasting your time. Mm. So, so one, of the, one of the other things, apart from the fact that I think that you are a champion of the independent artist and the unsigned artist and the underdog, is how you, you talk about personal issues, like things that are like, you know, quite, quite near and dear to you, um, but you do it, you don't do it in a self-righteous way. You do it in a like, I'm sharing my story with you to educate you. And the specific piece that I'm referring to is the one, I think you published it on your site in like 2016 about your addiction to porn and how, yeah. um, you know, you stopped watching it after you met your wife and you could like, you know, talk to her and open up and be honest with her. Um, and then through that, the way that you started to look at women changed and i think that you've shared that piece a number of times over the years once after uyinene was murdered and then the uh, hashtag am i next campaign started and then again um i think i quoted it when you released the video for uh, video for celibate healing oh yeah i still <laughs> i love that video with that bear it's just hysterical but i <laughs> but i wanted to know like how has the initial reaction to the piece changed over the years? Because if I remember correctly, when that piece came out, the reaction wasn't entirely like positive. Mm. There were some like negative comments. No, I was completely expecting that. Um, but I think the overwhelming response was very positive. Mm. Um, and I think, and I, I'm glad that you 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 pointed out that i i wasn't self-righteous i really tried not to be self-righteous and i think um i can smell a bullshitter by the way and you are not a bullshitter i uh, will yeah like at the end of the day i think it's it's important to be able to point the finger at yourself especially mm. when you're dealing with something like porn um and i i think being someone that used to go to church quite a lot I used to see a lot of preachers pointing the finger and I'd completely switch off. As soon as a, a pastor would point the finger at himself and say, you know, I'm a person too and I've struggled with this, suddenly people want to listen. Mm. And it's just crazy how, like in the church, like people, well, I mean, it's, it's like anything. You have people that point the finger and then others who point the finger at themselves. It takes a little bit more courage, but at the end of the day, you actually have a chance of of making a difference if you can be vulnerable and i think not everyone should be vulnerable i knew that you know talking about such a, a hectic thing very publicly was was going to be like a big decision because yeah like it's 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 opening up a part of myself that no one would naturally want to to share but i just saw the effects of it in everyday life and i i just know that 
you know, if porn still had a stronghold in my life, I wouldn't be where I am today mm-hmm. because it does have that. It's a it's a vice at the end of the day. It, it, I believe it holds you back from achieving your your potential as a human, and uh, it's, it felt right to kind of just speak about it. So let's talk about your various different social media exploits over 2019. Because I feel like 2019 was your year and you know that I'm a fan and you know that, you know, any anything that you do, whether it's like the fat boy slim Greta Thunberg mashup or whether it's your hashtag I'm slaying um, or whether it's the social media campaign that you did to raise funds for Normi, which was beautiful um, and so like heartfelt. Um, yeah, I'm a fan. But which one would you say you enjoyed the most? Like you en- you enjoyed seeing it progress and develop and the comments that came out of it? Because we all know social media can be a kind of, well, not a kind of, it can be a toxic place. Yeah. It's not necessarily like the the best, but some of the reactions to the campaigns that you you've, you've, done and the memes that you've launched have been hysterical so what have been some of like your highlights or your favorites i think uh seeing fat boy slim repost a video that i had made was a really cool feeling um yeah i think that that was definitely the highlights and then when that happened just seeing it snowball i think the, the beautiful thing for me is seeing a meme kind of just grow into something that you never expected it to. So like I just made that video because it seemed like a cool idea. I had no expectation of what it was going to do. But then seeing, you know, that song being played live mm-hmm. with Greta's like face on a massive screen and like thousands of people, like seeing it grow into that... And also seeing like that German orchestra like do it live on TV and just like seeing it morph and like turn into this thing is really cool. I remember I saw NME picked it up and people just went mad, like people in South Africa went crazy because you weren't credited. And they were like, no, but the Kefnes did it. So it was, re- it was really nice to see people sort of band together yeah, like that. At, at the end of the day, like... Actually, I don't really care that I wasn't credited. Um, for for me, the most important thing is just the idea getting out there. Um, but I, I do understand that, you know, if an idea is put out there, some people might want to know who made it so that they can see maybe some of the other creations, which is why I've, I've kind of gotten a little bit better at watermarking my work. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, when Fatboy Slim posted it, my watermark was there. So, you know, I, I was able to reach a whole new audience. And, you know, it's cool. Like people from Spain or whatever, like found my page through that video. And, you know, some of them like thought the rest of my stuff was a bit weird or <laughs> left. But others have stayed. And like, it's cool, like just to to have a, a new audience because of that. And how do you come, like, how do you come up with an idea like that? Do you just, do you see something? Do you listen to a speech and you go, hmm, that might sound interesting if I smashed it and mashed it up with this? Or like, where are these ideas coming from, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so for that, I was just listening to the speech like everyone else. I think I might have actually seen it posted on your page. Um, ah. And I think I saw while I was scrolling, you know, I can't remember, but it might have been on, on text in the city, you know, listen to Greta's speech. So I just listened to it. And then when she said right here, right now, it just came to me straight away like a lightning bolt. <laughs> and that, my best ideas, I feel, really do feel like that. It's, it's not like I even try or anything. They're just like, they just come down. Um, but yeah, just in that moment, I knew that I had to make this mashup and I knew that I had to create something poignant. And I was up all night, like till three or four in the morning, just trying to find videos that like translated, you know, the mashup. So I got like that video of the world and I got videos of, you know, people striking from South Africa and yeah, just it came together way more powerfully than I actually initially anticipated. I think not everything that that you've done that you've posted that you've created has landed quite so spectacularly as that fat boy slim mashup um no definitely yeah sometimes things are not necessarily going to be as as well received as you'd like like i remember you you posted a photo of you um in the i'm staying group with um your visa like in front of a computer booking flights and then the guy who created the facebook page banned you yeah on the page (laughs) what happened there so i don't think he banned me himself i think he's got like a group of moderators who are new and you know still trying to learn the ropes but um but what do you think the reason behind banning you from that facebook group was do you think it was because they you know you were calling out like expats who i think the place is is like a that page is like an orwellian nightmare you know it's toxic positivity it's just people blindly turning away from anything which might actually point to the truth and just you know, I'm all for positivity. Like, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic. But I just think anything that's contrary to the dialogue which they are trying to push is exactly like that George Orwell book. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. I'm trying to show people that in a sort of satirical, light-hearted way that, you know, this is cool, but just be careful. You know, these people... I'm sure Jared Pitts is also a lovely guy, and I, th- I think he's just trying to do the best he can. But these things have a way of, you know, turning south if you're not careful. I think that your tongue-in-cheek humor is not necessarily as appreciated by everybody as, like, you would like. Um, I know that the other day somebody said, somebody tweeted, it doesn't get whiter than the kiffness and you <laughs> well you asked he said does it get whiter oh, does it get whiter and you replied and said yes it's called jeremy loops <laughs> and jeremy wasn't so thrilled was he no so i mean jeremy is a very interesting guy 
because he's obviously very famous and very successful and I do not hold any of that against him. I think it's very well deserved. I think he's done a very good job of turning his his career into a massive success. I mean, you can't deny the streams, the sold out shows, the the international tours, the guys like a flipping mega superstar. Smart man. But he's also from Komiki. And I think he's used to a life of not being in the spotlights. And I think he struggles with fame. And if anything, I'm trying to help Jeremy by showing him that if you're in the spotlight, you're going to have to be able to laugh at yourself. Otherwise, you're going to suffer. And, uh, you know, if... If I took myself seriously and I took every comment that's been hurled at me, every hateful negative comment that's been hurled at me, if I took them seriously, I would be I would be depressed. Because you just you, you have to laugh at that kind of stuff. Like you have to realize that if you're in the spotlight that you are under scrutiny and people are going to make fun of you. And I just I really hope that he can learn to laugh at himself. It'll make his life so much easier. I think that's a really, really important point that you've made about learning how to laugh at yourself and not take everything so seriously. I feel like Jeremy loops aside, South Africans suffer from that a lot. Like in general, we really, really struggle to like be... Take criticism. Yeah, take criticism and just make fun of ourselves, you know, and not take everything so seriously. Yeah, I've I've kind of learned that, you know, if people are making fun of me or saying, like, potentially hurtful things, I try and see that as not a negative, but rather, yes, people are making fun of me. I'm obviously doing something right. I'm growing. People are taking notice. And uh, I feel like if that's not happening, then you actually... You're not you're not doing or you, you're not doing enough, and uh, I think uh, yeah, it was a it was a very crucial point in my career where I just decided like stuff it. I'm just going to say whatever I want. Um, that's when things really started picking up, and obviously with the growth came the 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 negative the negativity. But you know, I took it in my stride, and I've I've learned how to you know, separate myself from my ego and, uh, you know, realize that, you know, if people do say hurtful things, a lot of the time it's got nothing to do with you. They're just looking for a target to project their own insecurities or hurts onto. So, you know, it was an interesting comment. Jeremy's saying, you know, you, you're very good at disguising your anger as, as humor or your malice as humor. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, there, there have been times where I've been angry and I've, I've found something to project my, my anger onto in humor or whatever it is. But I don't think this was the case. I literally just saw this tweet and then I had the idea and I thought it was hilarious because it's partly true as well. You know, I... I um I think one of the things, there are a lot of things that I really dig about you um, musically, but also as a brand and the way that you present yourself online. But I think one of the things I like about you the most is that we have the same kind of humor. 
And I probably one hundred percent. And I I totally would have t- tweeted if not the same thing, something similar. Yeah. Um. And that's that's how I've gotten into a lot of trouble over the years. But I would I would much rather like be who I am, you know, than like be fake or false or or, or present myself in a way that like people want to see. Mm. So yeah, um, but one last final thing before we before we wrap things up, um, I just want to know going forward in 2020, new decade. Um, I've always got my eye on your page for anything that might crop <laughs> up at any time. But what what are some of like the plans and things you have in the pipeline? Um. So I've started a side project under my own name, David Scott. Uh, which, you know, I wrote an EP during my travels in 2018 in Europe. And, you know, it it was never the plan to write this EP, but just during my time in Europe with my wife, I I was in a completely different headspace. I think just being away from South Africa and not being, like, recognized was quite refreshing for me. Being a stranger where no one knows who I am like really just put me in a different world and i wrote this four track ep um well i didn't know it was an ep back then but you know i had these four songs that sounded completely different to anything i'd ever written as the kiffness and i didn't know what to do with it and then i realized like this is a part of me that's very different like a part that i haven't really been able to express in the past um, so let me just release it under my own name and I got Danilo from Kudu Kudu to help me out and he pitched it to Platoon they liked it and now it's it's like it's done really well on Spotify and Apple Music um, So and it's quite strange because I've got more streams on you know a four track EP than I think the Kiffness put together over 10 years <laughs> like it's crazy how it's just like blown up on Spotify but I haven't done one gig as David Scott. So I think there might be an opportunity for me to start uh, DJing under my own name. Who knows? It might work. It might not. Like I've tried it in the past, but promoters always say, well, why don't we just promote it as the Kiffness DJ set? And I'm like, okay, cool. We'll just do that. But I think this is just very different to the Kiffness. Well, I'm incredibly excited to see how your Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde project unfolds. <laughs> You know, I've always got my eye on your socials just in case, but I just wanted to say thank you for joining me at the Folk Down Studios in Woodstock, Cape Town today. Yeah, thank you. No, it was a great pleasure. And whoever's listening, I hope you enjoyed it.
to the Kifness for joining us in studio. Thanks for joining us for another Text Talks. Check out textinthecity.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our assistant researcher and collaborator, Al Clapper, catch you all on the flip side. Thank you.